My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24-7. And the topic today is how to fix the world. Small topic, right? Nothing too big. But of course, we are entrepreneurial thinkers here, and we don't just watch problems accumulate. We try to get involved. And that's why I brought on a very special guest, the wonderful Alex Amuyel, who's the author of The Answer Is You, a guidebook to creating a life full of impact. Now, I've known Alex actually for a really long time, and I have been watching her career. I think I first met her at some beach house somewhere, and she was just like this really smart, interesting international person. She grew up in the UK, but she's French and she's just kind of been doing a million cool things. And now she's come out with a book that just, I think it taps into so many important topics that we talk about on the show. Now, her day job is that she's the executive director of Solve, an initiative of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, that's MIT. It is a community of cross-sector leaders devoted to identifying and supporting solutions to actionable challenges through open innovation. So it's like, let's get the innovators together to solve all the big problems of the world. Before that, she was the director of programs for the Clinton Global Initiative, and she's also worked for Save the Children International in London and Asia, the Middle East and Haiti, and at the Boston Consulting Group. She has a double master's from Sciences Po in Paris and the London School of Economics and a bachelor's from Trinity College, Cambridge. So she's done a lot and she has so much to impart in terms of wisdom. And one of the things that I love about this conversation, we're going to talk about figuring out what you want to do in this world. Like, what is the area you should focus for impact? But we also talk about one thing that Alex did that I was very flattered by is she referenced my book, The 10% Entrepreneur, in her book and talks about how you can just start with 10% of your time to get going. You don't have to just jump in and get overwhelmed trying to solve problems. We talk about that. You know, you can get in the trough. You can end up landing in that trough and get stuck. Start small, grow from there, 10% it, and that's a great way to go. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about her journey and also just like how can we engage in the world around us to make it a better place. Now, my small ask, since I just mentioned The 10% Entrepreneur, if you haven't checked out The 10% Entrepreneur, it is a book about how we can start being entrepreneurs with 10% of our time, money, and energy. And that means, you know, anywhere from business all the way through to sort of social entrepreneurship. The book came out in 2016 and it's still out there. In fact, it's just got reprinted in Korea. It's coming out in Vietnamese this year. So it lives. And so if you haven't checked it out, it is the kind of book that FOMO sapiens definitely like. So go check it out. All right. And now on to the interview. So as you know, I start every interview with the same question and Alex does not escape. I started our conversation by asking her this. What's the formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? Thank you for this question, Patrick, and delighted to be here. I think the most formative decision I made was uh, the day I turned 21, I quit a PhD in biochemistry uh, that I was doing for everybody 
but myself. I was doing it for my parents and I was doing it for my lab director and I was doing it for everybody who said I was really good uh, at biochemistry. And I guess in that sense, I had an early life crisis early on and that helped me refine what my purpose was and what I really wanted to do. Um, and even though this PhD was on cancer research, so it was still doing something good about social impact, I had to really refine that. Um, and that also ties into this book about, which is how to help people think about how they too can live out their purpose and live lives full of impact. It's funny that you say that because when I was a senior in college, I came back from study abroad and I tried to take econometrics. And I had taken stats overseas, but I really didn't study all that hard and frankly barely passed. And I showed up to Econometrics and I couldn't even, they gave a stats review and I couldn't answer the first question. And I called my mom in hysterics and I was like, if I can't take Econometrics, I can't get this specific, you know, sub degree of my degree. And my mom was like, just change, like just change the plan. And she gave me permission. I just didn't have the, the ability at the time, but quitting something when you have all these expectations, we think that our parents will never see us in the same light again. You you just opened a new door and did something new. So I love that answer. And I want to just start our conversation kind of with who you are, because you mentioned this as I read your bio, I was like, oh, she studied science. It's so interesting now back at MIT. But you also, you know, you made that bold move and then you went right into consulting at VCG for a little while. And then you left and you went into more of an impact lane, which is working at Save the Children and Clinton Global Initiative and now MIT Solve. Did you always know that you wanted to, that you know, you weren't going to be an investment banker, that you wanted to do things that were about creating positive impact in the world? Um, so first of all, I think one can be an investment banker and create uh, positive impact <laughs> in the world. So Good. Okay. stay tuned. Monday, one day I might, uh, I, I might still become an investment banker. But um, I think more broadly is, yes, from, um, and I talk a little bit about that in the introduction to the book, from a very young age, I think um, I had this sense that um, I should do something to better the world. And I think that that was both um, a reflection of um, some some amount of privilege. I grew up solidly middle class or upper middle class in Paris, and I neither had too much money nor too little to to mm. value that uh, over and above everything else. I think, um, and and I had sort of a father who li who worked in the civil service and, and a mother who was an investment banker, in fact. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, that started you know that that PhD and it was an idea of still like ridding the world of cancer, if you will. Um, but then then through through actually practicing research and pipetting, pipetting small quantities of antibodies into test tubes, I decided that was not what I wanted to do. Um, and then, you know, still, that was still an ambition that led me to my master's in international affairs. I really wanted to do human rights. I applied to Human Rights Watch Fellowship. I applied to Save the Children. No one ever gave me an interview. I had zero uh, skills or zero life experience that um, qualified me for any of these jobs. So I ended up in consulting. I think like many people end up in consulting, if I may say so, mm -hmm. um, because somebody would pay me to do something interesting and would teach me some skills. Um, and um, there was a lot of things I did learn. And uh, the first job I got at Save the Children was, in fact, through a pro bono project I did with BCG. Um, so I was staffed into a Save the Children project. And then in the end, I got, I did what everybody in consulting 
hates in that sense as I want to work for the pro bono client full time. <laughs> <laughs> what, what one thing you talk about in in early in the book, which I thought was which is important, is you talk about the contradictions in the social impact space because I think a lot of times, like you know, we see this that you have organizations that are out there doing good in the world, but don't necessarily achieve the impact that they're looking for. Or there's like, you know, or there, you know, I think about like, I read the book Dark Star Safari by Paul Theroux, all about the fact he was in the Peace Corps in Africa. And he went back many years later and like nothing had really gotten all that much better. So before we get into impact, I do just want to get your take on that. Cause I think it's an important thing that, you know, we, we should just lay on the table in terms of how we think about impact. Yeah. And I think that, um, some of this, uh, in some cases, is not going to land well with everyone. Or in fact, I know it's not always landed well in everyone, what I've written in the book about that. because. Um, but I think it's important. I wanted to write something whereby people were, when you go in wanting your idealistic self, wanting to change the world, wanting to have an impact, that you can't just show up, I guess, maybe like pull through in Africa or wherever and say, I'm going to save the Africans or I'm going to save the world, you know, and I, um, I'm smart, I'm bright, I have no life experience, and I have no skills, but I'm going to, you know, I think that that's, uh, I want people to really think through um, what, what their purpose is, what their life experience is, what skills they have to bring and, uh, and understand the complexities, including the contradictions and the hypocrisies of the social impact world itself so that they um, can really come in with a nuanced understanding of that. And I think that, you know, there's just a lot of dynamics that uh, still play out to this day. I think there are a lot of different actors who are trying to do good in the world, um, but, um, but that often gets confused. And some of that, there are still colonial trends in this. There's still uh, power dynamics in, uh, in all of these relationships money is still driving a lot of the decisions rather than impact, uh, sense of agency uh, for this. And I try and unpack all of this in the book a little bit, and I don't want to dissuade. This is a very optimistic book and a mm. book of saying everyone needs to get into the game. We all need your help. But also as you enter this, just enter with humility and listening and understanding of, of how you go about it. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos Fomo Sapiens? Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. I, you know, it's, I just think back to when I started my career, like investing all over the world. Right. And so I, I'd show up and be like, I thought I knew the answers. And, 
I think it's it's natural when you come out, your guns are blazing and you've got some training under your belt that you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to fix this. Well, oof, you know, nobody has a monopoly on good ideas. And so what you learn, of course, as you meet people and do things, it's like you learn that, you know, you have to be open-minded and, and humble. Now, the book is called The Answer Is You, which I love. It's, that is optimistic and hopeful. And we are going to be optimistic today, but I will start by saying, as I read that, I was thinking like, well, the answer may be me, but I also cause lots of problems. So <laughs> I think it's like, goes, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I, you know, I, I didn't recycle everything last week. I, you know, I walked by somebody on the street who needed help and I had my ear pounds on and I kept going. And so just start by why did you choose the name? The answer is you like, get us prepped up for how we're going to be spending our time today, which is figuring out how all of us can engage positively in the world around us. Um, yeah. And I think that the the title, I wanted to ensure that everybody did feel included. And, you know, I guess the corollary to the answer is you, is that everyone needs to take action as well. And that it's through collective um that collectively getting engaged into having a positive impact in the world and, and rethinking um, all the systems that are in place and why they might be unfair or exploitative or extractive and helping to change that and pushing everybody getting in the game and pushing things in the right direction is going to want to change. So while it appeals this you know title as an individualistic title, it really is the answers you and everyone needs to take part, I think is the the corollary to that. Um, and yes, to some extent, you would also say the problem is you, <laughs> like <laughs> some of it, you, you, um, you as an individual and as a member of society and of humanity hold tr tremendous collective, hold tremendous power to do good things, to do neutral things and to do bad things um, in this world. And I think a lot of people or most people want to do good things in the world. They just don't always know where to start. Um, and I think that some of those, um, obviously, you know, taking your individual part on, you know, yes, recycling and, and your purchasing decisions. Uh, and I talk about this in chapter six. There is a part about thinking about your purchases and thinking about uh, your consumption. Um, that's definitely one part of it. Um, but there are many other places in your life and probably actually your purchases and your decisions on recycling are still a small part of where you can have an impact. And so I go again, that's actually in chapter four and chapter five. I go into detail about all the different aspects of your life, your career, your giving, your investing, indeed your purchasing decisions, the networks you have influence in where you can really hold power to shift, you know, the endowment of your university, for example, or the endowment of your the religious organization you're affiliated with, uh, or indeed sort of what you do in your spare time and your volunteering. And that analyzing all those levers of power are going to be where, where you can take action um, in your life and that it's a balance sheet. Some of it is positive, some of it's neutral, some of it's negative, but the more and more you can move the needle um, to to good, um, which is how I inspire, your know, chapter five is inspired by you, which is start with 10, if you don't know where to start, start with 10%. Um, that's, um, uh, that's sort of getting, that's about getting started in that space. Yeah, I, we're gonna get into that today because <laughs> it is a, a really good approach. Now. 
I, I like now that I'm thinking about it, it's sort of like, yeah, I am part of the problem, but because I'm part of the problem, I'm well positioned to start being part of the solution. And I like what you said there, which is like, yeah, maybe, I mean, obviously if I recycle, I'm pretty good at recycling, but say I recycled more, that's great. But I could have way more impact if I got a law passed or I got an organization that I'm involved with, like say, you know, your kid's school to start doing recycling, like that's even more impactful. So it's, we can think beyond just our personal space into the many things that we do in our communities and our lives. But before we go there, I do want to start with the big question, right? So, okay. So world is complicated place. I'm a pretty optimistic person, but I look around and I'm like, oh my goodness, environments, tricky, refugees, crisis, uh, political instability, homelessness, opioids, like it's a lot of stuff going on. I have left out a bunch of stuff. And if, you know, so people please know that I'm, I'm deeply concerned about a lot of things, but it can be overwhelming. How do we start to figure out where with the problem that we would like to solve is? Um, great question. And actually I said that, uh, I say in the book, that's the wrong question to start off with, if I might be so oh, bold. No. Uh, Damn it. <laughs> I like uh, it. <laughs> the, the, the first question to ask is not what is the problem I should solve. The first question is what is what are my superpowers? And that's and that is chapter one. And what do I bring to this? If if the if the world and humanity is a bright big table where we all want to contribute positively, what can I bring to that table before even trying to fix anything? And so thinking, and I call them the superpowers because I think that's fun and important, but it is your skills, your lived experience, even the negative, the, your trauma, the, net, the things that have shaped who you are, um, be it your degrees or your, you know, your, your experience growing up in, in, in whatever environment um, you grew up in. And that really understanding, there's a fantastic quote by, by Rumi, which, which starts that chapter, which is, yesterday I was young and, and I wanted to change the world. Today I'm wise and I've decided to change myself. So starting from that inner um, place is the most important. And then the second thing is to think through these problems, right? That's, that is the second part. And you can do it top down, right? And say, oh, climate change is the worst problem the world is facing or income inequality is the worst problem this world is facing or food is is you know and that's sort of what the un does in in some way or or other or other places which will sort of look at a top-down approach uh or you can look at it bottom up in the sense of what are the problems facing my community uh what are, however you define your community and uh, the problems that I'm most proximate to and resonate most with um, with who I am for various reasons. And that can be because that is how you grew up or it can be because you've had experience um, working in some setting and seeing these problems firsthand come and go. And then the short answer is at the intersection of your superpowers and a problem that affects millions and billions of people and that resonates with your story is your purpose. And that can take weeks and months or years to really form. You know, it's 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 a journey potentially of a lifetime to really discover and work on your purpose. I really appreciate that approach. And I hadn't thought of that. The idea that we don't all have to solve global warming or hunger. 
but we can help our neighbors to deal with hunger or issues or somebody do their groceries or whatever that is, elderly people in our community. There's all kinds of like, need is everywhere and it doesn't have to be global in nature. And and I think if you can connect that, you know, where you'll have more and more impact is connecting that local and that resonance with your personal story to the bigger problems. So for example, one of the, because in the book, I, I've interviewed 21 different change makers and activists and social entrepreneurs. And one of them is uh, Kevin Adler, who's based in San Francisco. And to paraphrase his brilliant story, um, he had an uncle who experienced um, uh, homelessness um, due to mental health issues, mostly in and out of his life for many years. But he didn't know growing up, really. He didn't understand his uncle would show up for Christmas, would go back and forth. He didn't sometimes would sleep on the couch. He didn't really realize that his uncle was experiencing homelessness. And then he was working, he went to work abroad. I can't remember if it was the Peace Corps or some other type of um, uh, volunteering, but then he came back, he was working in ed tech in the Bay Area and he kept walking in the, in the street in San Francisco and witnessing people, unhoused neighbors, he calls them rather than homeless people, unhoused mm -hmm. neighbors. And, you know, at some point that resonated, sort of going back to his own personal story and understanding that his uncle was his uncle and, and not some anonymous uh, person experiencing homelessness. Um, and then said, and then, and then he sort of developed a solution with the knowledge of understanding that his uncle was had a support system and had family members and how could he help develop a solution which is called Miracle Message um, for his unhoused neighbors in San Francisco. And so he connected that very personal story to a much bigger issue, at least in San Francisco, and now he's expanding um, into the rest of the United States. Um, so that's, I think, where it's starts to become really powerful is you, starting from your story. Or, and it doesn't need to be that you experience that yourself or that your family experienced that yourself, but that there's still some real resonance that this is the problem that you keeps you up at night. FOMO. FOMO. I want to go back a little bit to identifying the superpower because I've had this problem in my life and I think a lot of people do. And in, in the 10% entrepreneur, I'm, I talk about, you know, figure out what you're good at and what you like to do. And so many times people say, you know, Patrick, easier said than done. It is hard because we, it's a weird thing about human nature that everybody can see what we're good at but oftentimes we cannot see it in ourselves. So how would you recommend that, you know, people who are listening today identify those superpowers? Uh, thank you for asking that. Um, in the book, I, talk, I, I, I ask you to reflect on a series of questions I pose about uh, your skills and your experience, but I ask you to go a lot broader than say what your career, you know, what, what your degree was in or what your career is in. Um, because often, you know, I meet a lot of, I don't know, frustrated lawyers or frustrated who, who, who want to do something different with their lives as well, uh, which is a slightly, um, which is a slightly bigger problem, but to, yeah, to think about your whole self and to think about how you grew up, what, um, you liked doing, what are your, uh, what are the networks you're part of? What is indeed your trauma or difficult, um, things um, and although I don't write this in the book, do, you do just now in this interview inspire me to think of something else. Like if 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 people do know better than us what we're good at, then you know, do a three sixty of your friends and your or family and your colleagues and ask them saying, what do you consider 
um, my superpowers to be? And what do you can, where, where do you think I'm really valuable as a, you know, friend and family member and colleague? And it's, I'm the one always resolving the disputes. I'm the one always like organizing the ski trip. I don't know. Um, but it does. And, you know, depending on your life uh, and how old you are and, you know, that, that takes time. Sometimes you're, you know, if you're a 20 year old, you're, you're obviously still discovering who you are. And, and I think that that's okay. I, I would invite, you know, people to just also test out what they, um, what, what, what they're good at and, and validate that as they go through, through different life experiences of, you know, well, I, you know, which is the case for me when I quit my PhD is I was really passionate about science and cancer research and things like that, but I really didn't have the patience or detailed orientated nature to, to sort of do all the experiments and wait for years really for things to coalesce. I wanted to do different things. Yeah. And, and I think this is when the investment banker gets their chance to shine that we talked about earlier, which is I think about so many of my friends who work in finance and I've spent a lot of time in that, in that industry, you have all these skills that you may, you know, everybody on your floor is good at them. Like everybody on your floor is amazing at Excel. So you start to think and you're like, wow, whatever I can do Excel. Like, but doesn't everybody know how to do that? No. If you were to go into Times Square and, and just yell, like, who's good at Excel? you'd be the only one. And so there are all these, that is a superpower. Things like that, that may seem mundane. You could go on the board of a nonprofit and be the treasurer and help do the budget. And there's all these things. So it doesn't have to be that you're necessarily like in the streets with a sign, you know, advocating for some law. It could be that you're making contributions in other ways. Now I do want to talk about the 10% approach because you mentioned this and, you know, I love that, but talk about where the 10%, you know, spending 10% of your time, money, energy fits into having impact. Chapter five is called start with 10% of your, um, uh, of your time and money. And it is essentially uh, an homage to your book, Patrick, uh, the 10% <laughs> entrepreneur in the sense that um, indeed going back to this idea that um, it might, wherever you might be uh, in your life, whether you're just starting out as a student or young graduate or whether you're midway through your career, or whether you're near retirement, it can be overwhelming to start. And uh, but carving out 10% uh, of your time as a volunteer, as starting a sidekick, whatever that may mean to you as taking a course on impact investing or whatever it is. And then also seeing if you can dedicate 10% of your money either to give away, which is many religions do in fact advise 10% as a good amount to give away. Or if uh, you are like most Americans and you give out 2% <laughs> uh, at the moment on average of your, of your income thinking about impact investing and how you might redeploy some of your funds still uh, for profit, but also to have an impact. Those are great ways to, to get starting. And through that, you know, that seems like a manageable amount. And through that, you create a wedge for impact, if you will, where you'll meet people uh, on, you know, boards you might be on while you're volunteering, while you take a course. And I think that that's obviously the hardest part is getting started is always the hardest part. Once you get to 10%, I think it's much easier to go from 10 to 20 to 30, et cetera, et cetera. And you'll never get, you know, I, this is not this idea, maybe Mother Teresa or 
or Mahamat Gandhi is like, is this 100% perfect, uh, devoted their life to impact. I don't think you'll get, any of us will get there. We'll always, you know, take a flight or, <laughs> or do things that also have a negative impact. But I think it's looking at this balance sheet and of your life across all the categories of your life and slowly but surely increasing the positive impact you have in the world and bringing your friends and family and colleagues with you along the way. Yeah, and I think that's really the beauty of this approach and what resonated with me as somebody who has, I, you know, I guess been doing a lot of the things you talk about just over the years is I remember thinking earlier in my life, you know, it was kind of an all or nothing proposition and that you either dedicated your life to service or dedicated to making money and that there was sort of like not a lot, you know, you'd like, I'm going to make the money and then I can do something good for society. Like you see people who run for office after they're financially independent. That is certainly a way to go. But imagine if everybody, you know, spent part of their time and maybe they do, but spent part of their time working on ideas and problems to solve in the community or the world. Think about when you do that, you will become less capable of being a bad person because you are thinking about how your actions affect the world around you. And that just makes all of society operate better. So this is a book that everybody should check out because we are in a time when we all need to step up to the plate and provide solutions. So everybody, if you want to check out the book, you can find it on Amazon or of course at independent booksellers everywhere. If you're not feeling Amazon, you can read more of Alex's work at yourimpactlife.com. And she's on Twitter at Alex Samuel. Alex Samuel, the answer is you. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO.